uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. The weekend after Oklahoma State's run in the NCAA tournament comes to a disappointing end to Oregon State. Colby, it was a, a late night on Sunday night, and it was a pretty thoroughly disappointing night. Just about everything went wrong for OSU. And did you stay up late and, and ride out the storm with, with the rest of us? Oh, yeah, I definitely did. And, you know, I can't sleep after late tips. So I was up till like two in the morning and I was just laying there thinking about it. And it's uh, it, it's going to take some time to heal because this team was fun, man. This was this was one of the most fun teams we've had in a long time. And it's I'm not even like I'm, it's not even that I'm mad that they played poorly last night. I'm just it sucks that the season's over. It just stings. It really does. And just it felt like they played probably their worst game of the season and the most important game of the season. And that's, that's hard to stomach. And I do want to break down kind of everything that went, went on in that game, what went wrong, the officiating, you name it. I want to get to all that, but first let's hear from Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. You know, I did love Colby, how they, they rocked the uh, curse of Cowboys all tournament. There was no question. They weren't even changing it up. Just the Curse of Cowboy jerseys. And you can get some Curse of Cowboys t-shirts at Chris's as well. So we appreciate Chris sponsoring the podcast as always. And Cowboys look good. Didn't always play good. But if you want to look good, go to Chris's University Spirit or shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. So, Colby, without further ado, you know, we earlier in the day, Brad Underwood didn't want the smoke. Mike Holder was probably in the arena staring at Underwood, and Underwood didn't want any of it. So Illinois is bounced by a really good Loyola Chicago team. And this bracket is just set up perfectly. The basketball gods had rewarded Oklahoma State because they got hosed by the committee. The bracket was wide open. The door was wide open. They are playing Oregon State. And, man, Colby, that first half, they just got their doors blown off. I mean, they – Oregon State started like one of 11, then they went like 12 of 14 after that, just really lit them on fire in the first half. And it was it was pretty much a calamity there to start the game. Yeah, it was. And it, it just felt like there was a 10-minute stretch in that first half, which obviously is a huge stretch where nothing could go right for Oklahoma State and nothing could go wrong for Oregon State. I mean, they were they were hoisting them. Kalu hits one from the left wing and then Lucas comes down on the next trip and that's the one he hit that hit the front rim, side rim, backboard, side rim, front rim, back rim and went in <laughs> and then you call timeout because you're down by 12 and it's like, if that's going in, you, you know, that's when I got the feeling it might just not be Oklahoma State's night when that shot went in because that put Oklahoma State down by 12 or 13, whatever it was, and it was just a ridiculous role for that to go in. I'm like, it might just not be your night. And it felt like every time Oklahoma State, uh, you know, would get a steal or would do something positive, then they'd come right back and they'd turn it over or they would take a bad shot or, and this was kind of the theme of the night, they would take a good shot and they would just miss it. And, you, you know, I, I don't want to – we're, we're going to get into the intricacies of the game, but sometimes you just have a night where you miss a bunch of open shots. Oklahoma State generated good looks, not all night, but for a good chunk of that game, they generated good looks. And Oklahoma State went 18 of 65 from the floor, 8 of 29 from beyond the arc. It was, I mean, it was one of the, the poorest shooting displays when you look at 18 of 65 from the floor that you'll ever see. And that is a, a vast oversimplification of what happened last night. Uh, Cause there were about a hundred different ways that that game played out. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma state missed a ton of good looks, both inside and outside. And at some point when you can't hit and they can't miss, you're, you're just going to find yourself in trouble. And that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. It was one of those halves, you know, you mentioned how poorly it went for OSU. Nothing would drop. After Oregon State had that cold spell to start the game, they literally could not miss. And it was so aggravating. Maurice Kalu, who couldn't play dead at Oklahoma State, couldn't get on the floor, got booted unceremoniously, which apparently the broadcast just didn't want to talk about because they, they barely even mentioned that Kalu transferred away from Oklahoma State. And for people who don't remember, Maurice Kalu was a part of the the, the – the brigade that shot BB guns at, at cars on campus and was, was kicked off the team, essentially. And you could tell Colby, when he got the ball, 
it was going up. Could you tell? Like when he got the ball, he wasn't even looking at passing. He wanted to score. And at one point, he had a three and turned around and, and talked trash to the bench. I, I'm sure the bench probably said something to him as he was shooting to try and throw him off. But this guy was taking it personal, and he he wanted to beat his old team. And he really, I thought, changed the complexion of the first half, Cole, because he came in, hit a couple threes. He ended up, ended up scoring 15 points in the first half. Now, that's three points shy of his career high. I think he scored 18 in one game this year. And the rest of the time, he averages five points per game. So it – it was the, kind of an interesting storyline playing Kalu, and then lo and behold, he comes off the bench, plays 26 minutes, and drops 15 on him in the first half. And I thought he swung the things in the first half. Yeah, I think he did too. And, you know, it was really perfect timing for him to just go on an unreal heater for Oregon State because Thompson had gone out of the game. Uh, and I haven't watched Oregon State all year. I don't claim to know the intricacies of their roster and who does what. But on the broadcast, they're like, you know, Thompson's going out. That's huge for Oregon State. Let's see if they can maintain while Thompson's out because he's their playmaker. He's their creator. He creates his own shot. He creates for other guys. So he goes out. And I'm thinking to myself internally, I'm like, okay, this is where Oklahoma State stabilizes. Not even like don't even go on a run. Oklahoma State just needed something to stabilize them in that first half, and it never came. Thompson goes to the bench, and Oregon State goes absolutely ballistic. Oklahoma State was leading nine to four at the start of that game, and it's like, oh, Oklahoma State finally got off to a good start. Here we go. And then it's like, boy, do I have something in store for you because it all went wrong from that point up until halftime. And Maurice Kalu, I, I tell you what, I mean. He, he made some mistakes at Oklahoma State. He was a kid. He did some things he shouldn't have, and obviously he paid for them. He, he was kicked off the team. He had to go the JUCO route. Now he's wound up at Oregon State where he's averaging five points a game. Last night was a big night for him, and you could tell that it meant a lot to him to do it against Oklahoma State. And, and it's just one of those things where, um, and I tweeted this out last night, that game last night is what we all love about the NCAA tournament. It's a team that wouldn't have been in if they didn't win their conference tournament. They go on an amazing run. They win their conference tournament. They get in. They upset the five seed. And now they're kind of turning into a little bit of a Cinderella who, I mean, hell, they've got as good a chance as any team left in that region to make the final four. So you, you just you ran into a, a team that's playing hot right now. You matched it up with one of your worst performances of the season. And that's what's great about the tournament when it happens to Texas or when it happens to Ohio State or whenever you can look at one of these other programs and kind of point at them and laugh. It's not near as much fun whenever it happens to you. And uh, Oklahoma State fans, I think, for the most part, handled it pretty decent last night. But it's it's tough, man, especially knowing that Cade was a one-and-done. It was tough to watch that game last night because, I, I mean, at halftime, I pretty much – I don't know about you, Carson. I went into the second half thinking to myself – I'm watching the last 20 minutes of basketball that Cade Cunningham will play at Oklahoma State, and it was kind of a, a sombering feeling. Oh, it certainly was, and OSU's just not built to play from that far behind. I think you, you look at the final numbers, they shot way more three-pointers than they would ever shoot because they were playing catch-up. They were trying to make a comeback, and that's just not what this team does. And I, I, do, think, I, I do think they kind of freaked out a little bit and went to bombing threes a little too early. Cade Cunningham mentioned that in the post game that they, they quit running their offense and, and panicked a little bit in terms of they were so far down. And again, they just didn't play well overall, Colby. You mentioned it. It was their worst first half of the season. They were out rebounded by 19 in the first half. They had just three fast break points. Even when they got out on the break, Colby, they could not finish. And so obviously Oregon State played really well in the first half, but you just look at the overall numbers and Oregon State shot 41% from the field, just 30% from three. They didn't make another three after going six of 10. They ended up six of 20. So they came back to earth there. Uh, they obviously shot 91% on 35 free throw attempts, which we'll get to. But OSU Colby just, this was their worst game of the season. And they just, they didn't run, like their offense was just hard to watch at times. And because... Again, it's it's the Cade Cunningham show a lot, which we all understand. But once again, there's just no spacing. There's no outside shooting. And when you get down and you can't hit threes, you're pretty much cooked. And I, I do think that, <clears throat> excuse me, Oregon State ran great offense in the first half. It wasn't just them throwing up. <laughs> excuse me. I need some water Rock or something. Your throat, man. I guess so. <laughs> but, like, in the first half, Oregon State wasn't just throwing up threes, Colby. They, they would throw it down on the post and then kick it out to wide-open shooters. I thought they were just thoroughly outclassed 
in terms of the, the style of offense they're running. And I think OSU Colby got away with what won them the game in, against Liberty in the second half. They, they fell in love with the jumpers and three-point attempts, and that ultimately cooked them because they ended up 8 of 29 from, from three-point range. Yeah, 8 of 29, and Cade hit four, and Keelan hit three. So, uh, I mean, Keelan actually was kind of the one who kept him even remotely at bay in the first half, which I tweeted out last night. I'm like, you know, we all expected this. We all expected Keelan to be the only guy who could hit the ocean from the beach in the first half. Uh, You know, Cade, he made a few shots there in the second half. He ended up with 24 points. Obviously still wasn't his best shooting game, but I, uh, you know, Isaac likely is a phenomenal player. He's done so much for this program, but I think he would agree that he maybe played his worst game of the season last night. He had zero points. He had one assist. He had three turnovers, uh, and a couple of them were out in transition. You know, I, I remember there was a point in the second half, Oklahoma State was down 50-39, to 39, and I believe it was Cade on back-to-back possessions uh, got steals and, and sent it out to Isaac Likely to start the transition and lead the fast break, and he just fumbled it away or made a bad pass. There was one time where he came down, and I don't know if he tripped over somebody's foot or slipped or whatever, but he ends up falling down and trying to gather the ball as it's going out of bounds and it it just didn't go well so uh, I I thought ice didn't have a great game last night and then I thought Oklahoma State's youth really really showed itself last night against Oregon State Rondell Walker uh, and Matthew Alexander Moncrief I thought the game looked really sped up for both of them they neither one I didn't think had the same not not the same intensity didn't play with the same poise, the same rhythm that we've seen them play with throughout large chunks of the season. And I think that that's what we forgot as the season transpired because they got so much better. I mean, this is still all of these guys' first experience with college basketball, first experience on that stage. You're playing the late game. It didn't tip off until 10 o'clock local time. Every eye is on you. There's no other games being played. And I, I don't know. I may, Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought the bright lights – we're a little too bright for Oklahoma State last night. No, I, I agree with that. I think that kind of speaks to what I was talking about, how they kind of got away from from their identity. And again, despite how poorly the, the first half went, despite the deer in headlights, Colby, they, they're back in this game in the second half. It was deja vu. They, you know, I, I said at halftime, you know, I've I've thought many times this year OSU was cooked at halftime only for them to come back and win. And that that almost happens again because Cade, you know, hits back-to-back threes. They cut it. They cut the lead, and then Cade doesn't touch the ball for, for the next two or three possessions, and, and that was virtually the end of the game. So, what do you think about the comeback and the manner in which they were able to come back against Oregon State? Yeah, it's you know the old expression, the old cliche: basketball is a game of runs. It's it's cliche because it's true you know we see it all the time and uh oklahoma state did make some runs in the second half they just couldn't sustain those runs they they would get close and as soon as they got close then it's almost as if they they knew they were close and they're like okay we have to make something happen this position we need a three we can tie it with a three and then somebody would hoist one you know fair and flavors came in the game and he threw up a couple of bricks when he was in there rondell got a couple good looks in that second i'm still waiting for fair and flavors to hit a three i don't think he's hit one all year that's just how I feel every time he shoots. It's just, it's been rough. You know, it's maybe he was trying to round in some form and then he got hurt and then he came back and then he's not getting any minutes. And then, you know, he doesn't play for the first 30 minutes last night and you throw him in for like three minutes and he shoots two threes. It's just, there, there hadn't been any consistency in, in his minutes, in his performance. It just, it hadn't worked. The, the whole, the whole deal with fair and flavors just didn't really work this year, but it just seemed like every time Oklahoma state had a chance to get over the hump Oregon State responded. And and that's honestly, that's a testament to Oregon State because Oregon State, you know, a lot of the mistakes Oklahoma State made last night, they were forced into those mistakes by good play on Oregon State's part. And I'll be honest, we recorded on Saturday after the Liberty game, and I was a little cocky going into this game, and I probably uh, didn't give Oregon State the credit that they deserved for playing as well as they were at this moment. I mean, they've been playing great. Their coach talked about the fact that they kind of switched up their strategy, started going inside out, playing a little bigger whenever they were 11 and 11. And now they won eight of their last nine, including three in the Pac-12 tournament and now two in the NCAA tournament against a couple of good teams. And Carson, it was excruciating watching Oregon State pull down every single rebound all night long. Ended up being 52 to 32 in rebounding. And I, I tell you what, 
you just can't get out rebounded by 20 against many teams and win. And you certainly can't do it in the second round of the tournament. You, you don't get to play bad basketball as you advance in the tournament and continue to win. That's just not how it works. No. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the rebounding numbers because for me, despite the officiating, despite the offensive woes from Oklahoma state, despite Kate Cunningham being anonymous again in the first half, the number one reason OSU lost this game was they couldn't handle Oregon State's size. Oregon State's one of the bigger teams in the country. And in fact, I was listening on the, on the radio on the way home. I was at the station during the game doing our, our Sunday night show. And driving back, kind of in the waning minutes when the game, when they really stretched it out to seven and the game was virtually over, Dave Hunsaker brought up an interesting point. He brought up Ken Palm's like, I guess Ken Palm has like a size metric and just the size and length of Oregon State. They're one of the top 10 teams in terms of that metric in the country. And Mike Boynton compared them to TCU, the same TCU that Oklahoma State lost to twice this year, just in terms of the style of play, the matchup. And their size really bothered them. That's why they only had, I think at one point late in that game, they only had like 19 paint points in the game. Now, granted, you only score, you score 70 and you only make uh, 18 shots. You're not going to have many paint points to begin with. But I just thought their size – their length at the rim really bothered them. And it really kind of was able to take away their bread and butter, which is just getting to the basket. Yeah, it was. And I mean, the, the Silva kid, you know, he ends up with seven points, which is just barely over his season average, but he only averaged two or three rebounds on the season. But again, this goes back to the change in philosophy that the Oregon State coach had talked about. I mean, Silva played 31 minutes in that game. He pulls down 12 rebounds. Alatiche pulls down 12 rebounds. I mean, good grief. They had two guys get 24 rebounds. Oklahoma State only had 32 as a team for the entire game. So just watching those guys over and over again, and shockingly, and I almost feel like this is a typo looking at the box score. Oregon State had 10 offensive rebounds, and Oklahoma State actually had 12 offensive rebounds. And I think some of those uh, came late, M.A. and Keelan down, down free low. Free throw line. Yeah, yeah some stuff like free that. Free throws. Uh, but I thought in the first half is whenever it seemed like Oregon State got all of their offensive rebounds. The first half, it seemed like Oklahoma State could get a stop, and then Oregon State would just get another try. Get another stop, they get another try. And the second chance points in the first half were rough. The three-point shooting was rough. Uh, and I was, I was impressed. Silva, Alatiche, those guys, uh, Lucas played a good game. And you know what else I was impressed by? And, and this can probably, I'm sure you were wanting to lead into the officiating at some point. Uh, Oregon State was 32 of 35 from the free throw line. <laughs> And that is so disgusting for a college team of college athletes to go 32 of 35 from the line. That's 91.4% on 35 attempts. Absolutely it's, absurd. It's unheard of in college basketball. It's absolutely absurd. The fact that OSU lost this game by 10 is a minor miracle. Considering the free throw disparity, one, the percentage, two, uh, the, the, they shot 27% from the field, three, I mean, the rebounding disparity, which we've mentioned, it's just, it's amazing they only lost this game by 10. Uh, before we get to the officiating, though, Colby. Oklahoma State's been getting killed by turnovers all season. It's the only thing that kept them in the game. Oregon they State, had eight. Oregon they State had eight. 20 times. Yeah, they forced 20 turnovers Oregon State. If you had told me that they would have eight turnovers Blowout. and forced 20, they win, by, they win by 20, in my opinion. But before we get to the, offici <laughs> before we get to the officiating, and I, I, I might go 30 minutes on it if I'm not careful. Uh, let me just kind of break down some of the roster here. Um, a couple questions I had. You mentioned Isaac Likely. I wanted to touch on your point you made about him. He's been yeah, a leader. He's been a leader. He's, he's one of the senior-laden players. He's a negative on offense. They basically have to play four on five when he's on the court. And, look, he can make plays happen with steals. He, he got a few un unlucky times where he, I thought he, he – he drove into the rim a couple times. I thought he got fouled. No call, of course. That's another theme I'll get into. But I thought likely really kind of hurt their offense, Colby, in terms of the spacing. And it was like they were four on five on offense when he was out there. Yeah, you know, spacing is the magic word in basketball. It really has been for several years. That's the way that the game is going. Did you watch the Oregon-Iowa game earlier today by chance? I was busy during it. I just – I knew the Big Ten lost again, which made me happy. It's one of the best college basketball games I've seen in a long time. Really, the first half. The second half was kind of boring because Oregon got way ahead. But Oregon's spacing was ridiculous 
ridiculous, and it opened everything else up for them offensively. Uh, they were able to hit threes, and then they were able to go to the basket because they were closing out so hard on shooters. It was remarkable, and the, the one thing that Isaac likely can't do on a basketball court, he's not a shooter, and he just kills your spacing, and I think it's – I think it was tough for Ice this year, Carson, because you remember Ice has been the big dog in his time on campus. He's been the leader. He's been the best player. He's the guy you turn to, but now he's not. Now he's much more of a role player than he has been in his time at Oklahoma State. And let's remember those teams that he was the best player on, those teams weren't make weren't good enough to get in the NIT a couple of the, the times. So mm-hmm. it, it's just I think that his role at Oklahoma State, uh, assuming he comes back, and I think he will, will be as more of a role player and more of a 20 to 25-minute guy as opposed to a 30 to 35-minute guy because the reality is in 2021, if you have a guard on the floor who just flat out can't shoot and who the defense doesn't have to respect as a shooter, like you said, that is a negative on offense, and it just hinders what you're you're able to do. So um, I think that that adjustment will have to be made, and it's just it's tough. I love Isaac Likely. I love what he's brought to Oklahoma State, but his role will, will have to be different going forward just because of his inability to be able to shoot. Yeah, that's something that he's going to have to improve for sure. Another guy I want to touch on, the curious case of Caleb Boone plays 10 minutes, takes four shots, ends up with four points, zero rebounds, zero blocks, zero steals, virtually a zero out on the floor. And this is a guy that when OSU started to take off this year was really a focal point, was probably the most important player for OSU in some of those wins in terms of scoring you know, 20 points. There were games in which Kay didn't play that well, that Caleb Boone stepped up. Why did he play 10 minutes, Colby? Enlighten me. Tell me Tell me why Caleb Boone played 10 minutes and wasn't able to, to do much. I don't know if it was just the, the matchups that Oregon State was creating, but, I mean, I'm halfway wondering if Keelan and Caleb changed jersey numbers and didn't tell anybody because, if you remember, <laughs> there was a stretch of the season where Keelan couldn't get on the court. He was playing limited minutes, couldn't do anything when he was on the court, and Caleb was dominating. And now it's like Keelan has a great game last night, and Keelan's played really good basketball the last few weeks, and now Caleb's gone missing. And I'm just trying to figure out, I'm like, I know they're twins. Maybe they switched jerseys. I can't make sense of it, Carson. It's just maybe you can still chalk it up to to somewhat uh, of youth. But, I mean, these guys are sophomores. I don't know, man. It, it just it doesn't make sense. I, I'd love to make it make sense for you, but I can't. Well, and this is why – the biggest reason I struggle with this is how inept their offense looked and just how easy it is at times. Like, there was one instance, like the, the one time I feel like they, they threw it down to Caleb Boone on the block – he spin cycles the dude into oblivion and he has an easy dunk. And it's like, where is that? I, I didn't think Mike Boyne had a great game. I really didn't. I, didn't. I didn't like what they were doing offensively. I thought they got completely out of control there in the, in the pivotal moments in the second half with, with outside shots. I just, I don't know. It, there's been so many instances where their offense has totally bogged down and Caleb Boone's just not there. I mean, where, like, why is he like, He's one of your better players. Why isn't he on the court? And why aren't you running the offense through him? That's just that that, that to me is baffling. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't necessarily disagree uh, about Boynton. I don't don't think it was his his best in-game coaching job. Um, But I do think that, you know, he's juggling foul trouble top to bottom on the roster. I mean, at one point they threw up the foul trouble and Oklahoma State had like five of their six or seven top players with three or more fouls. And we're like the 12 minute mark of the second half. And, I mean, that's when Fair and Flavors came in. I don't think he intended on playing Fair and Flavors. And then Bryce Williams picks up his fourth foul. Bryce Williams picked up two of the most ticky-tack fouls I've ever seen in my life within about 12 seconds of each other to go from two fouls to four fouls. And then Breathing. He got, he got called for breathing twice. And, and I'm like and, – and I thought the same thing. I thought to myself – this is really weird, the substitutions that we're seeing tonight from Boynton. And then you see the foul trouble, and it's like it's kind of between a rock and a hard place. You leave a guy out there with four, he picks another one up with 11 minutes, you're in trouble. But you put another guy in who's not giving you as much production so that your guy doesn't pick up his fifth foul, and then you, you kind of lose your momentum. So it, it just – I didn't think Boynton had his best game last night, but I also thought he was just put in a pickle because Oklahoma State as a team committed, let's see, 29 fouls in that game. Wow. Yeah, before we get to the officiating, just – 
like three, he had to throw flavors out there because he had no choices at that point. I just didn't understand why. And again, Bernard Kuma played 11 minutes, played some good minutes there. I think he thought Kuma was a better matchup for Silva oh, inside. But again, when your offense is as ice cold as it was, I just, I, I couldn't believe they didn't, that, that Caleb Boone ends up playing 10 minutes. That was, that was baffling to me. Okay. I, let, let's, let's talk about the officiating, Colby. And again, yes, I don't seek this out. I'm not just looking at the officials every basketball game I watch. I'm really not. And I know it gets old when people just, all they do is complain about the refs. I, I understand those things. But when it affects the entire flow of a basketball game, you have to address it. And again, just 53 fouls were called in this game. 53. ESPN Stats and Info says the most free throws shot in the game since 2002. Like, free throws made in a game. I, I don't even know made. for yeah. shots. If Oklahoma State would have shot a better percentage, they probably would have broken the record for most free throws made. And it, it started early, too. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to even get the words out. Isaac Likely gets hammered at the rim, goes into Silva with all of his might. Silva doesn't go straight up. He comes down on him. No call. Okay, if that's if that's how we're calling it. That's fine. Let's play ball. These dudes can play with some contact. I love it. The very next trip down the floor, Rice Williams, the freak athlete that he is, floats from about 30 feet away somehow, swats this dude all ball into about the 10th row, and just because the guy, the impact of the block, sends the dude flying, he lands on his back, you hate to see a guy land like that awkwardly, the ref just, they get scared and blow the whistle. Oh, that has to be a foul. Let's even go review our terrible call. Let's go see if it's flagrant when he, all he did was swat the basketball into the 10th row. That set the tone for the rest of the game. And just, I, Colby, all day I've been trying to find somewhere, some website that tracks offensive fouls because Oklahoma State has to be number one in the country. They don't, they don't get any benefit of any charge ever. It's unbelievable how many horrible charge calls they get. And I thought this game culminated everything I've thought about college officiating and just was like, you, you know what, Carson? You think college officiating is terrible? Watch this. We're going to ruin a great basketball game. because That's what it was. Second half, that turned into a great basketball game. And it turned into a free throw shooting contest, which, again, OSU's never going to win because they stink at free throws. Mike Boyd needs to figure that out. But they don't, you certainly don't expect Oregon State to shoot 91.4% either on 35 attempts. Like, it's, it's unwatchable. It's terrible. College officiating is inept, and they need to totally revamp the system. I'm watching Oklahoma-Gonzaga. They still don't know what a charge is. It's unbelievable to watch. And it reminds me how much I hate college basketball, even though this season ultimately reminded me how much I love it again. Yeah, I uh, so it, it's not even to me. Look, the Bryce Williams call was bad. That was bad. He volleyball. It was a volleyball spike block. The ball just so happened to still be in the kid's hand. So he got whistled for a foul. <laughs> and if they would have come back and said that it was flagrant, I, I might not have been able to record today because I might have been on my way to Indianapolis. I, I would have raced <laughs> if that would have been a flagrant. I'd have a hole in my TV. I know and, that. And my thing. My thing is like. Oklahoma State played poorly, and that's why they lost. And, and I'm not even necessarily arguing that it was only Oklahoma State who was getting a bad whistle. I mean, Oklahoma State th shot 38 free throws to Oregon State's 35. So it's not even to me that it was a one-sided whistle. It was the fact that the refs would not let a basketball game play out. Let them play basketball. It is not a free throw shooting contest. Oregon State got whistled for some stupid little hand checks. Oklahoma State got whistled for some stupid stupid little hand checks and the charges in college basketball are such an epidemic to, to me, an on ball defender. When you're posting up your, your man who is the on ball defender and he just falls over as soon as you, as soon as you get even close to him, that's not a charge. That is not a charge. That is you refusing to play good defense in the post. So you're going to put it on the official to call the charge. Now, if a guy rotates over from the weak side and gets set, or like the last play of the first half, Matthew Alexander Moncrief got a, a rebound with seven seconds left, and then he ran full speed like a bull in a china shop, never <laughs> picked his head up, and just absolutely trucked somebody like he was Ray Lewis <laughs> in the mid-2000s. Okay, that's a charge. That's fine. Charges do exist, and that was an example of one but it's not like it was happening all game and Carson the, the two teams combined to shoot 73 free throws 
I, I didn't think I'd ever see it in my life. And it was, again, and somebody on Twitter last night was like, oh, man, USU fans sure are whining about the refs. It, it's not even that we're whining that it was a one-sided whistle. We're just whining that we couldn't watch a basketball game because there was a stoppage in play every 30 seconds to shoot free throws. Carson, it was a two-and-a-half-hour college basketball game yes. that already started 20 minutes late because apparently somebody drove a car into a power pole. It's probably Brad Underwood, wasn't it? Oh, 20 says it was Underwood, 100%. Yeah, for sure. And again, it, and it wasn't just the, the charge calls. It's, and then Kate Cunningham even talked about this. Rarely do you hear this from a player or coach after the game. But he said, you know what? Oregon State's, they're, they're coached well to, to manipulate contact. He said every time they would make contacts with us, they would throw their heads back and the referees would fall for it. And that's totally true. How many times did Oregon State just throw their heads back, beep, whistle, foul? And, those are frustrating, but for me, Colby, it's the one that Caleb Boone got in the latter stages of the second half. Oh my God. Oh it's my 20 God. feet. It's 30 feet from the basketball or from the goal. He's on around the top of the key, just literally just standing next to his man. Beep, whistle, foul. It's like I can handle, you know, some charges here and there. I can handle some offensive fouls. I can handle some no calls, whatever. I can't handle – the touch fouls away from the ball that are having no impact on the game. And there's very minimal contact at that. That just, there's nothing more infuriating than that. And all it did was add to the free throw totals, add to the bonus. I mean, Oregon state was in the bonus Colby with like 12 minutes left in the second half. It was just, it's absurd. It's not even a basketball game at that point. It's a, just turns into a free throw shooting contest. So again, I'm with you. This didn't cost OSU the game. Nobody's saying that OSU played terrible. They couldn't make a shot. They couldn't guard Oregon State in the first half. Nobody's blaming it on the officials. It just – your product is already not what it used to be in terms of the best players leave early, and then the officials go out of their way to make the product unwatchable. And it's just – it's so frustrating to watch. It really is. Yeah, that call on Caleb, it was – I was watching the game in the living room. My wife came in there. She fell asleep on the couch, so I'm trying not to yell. But, Carson, it's so hard. It's so hard not to yell at the TV. That, that call on Caleb, it's as if he was standing there and the guy he was guarding did like a little back step or something and their shorts grazed each other. It was like their shorts touched <laughs> and they blew the whistle. And I, I mean, I'm beside myself. It's 11:15 on a Sunday night. I'm beside myself watching a college basketball game because we can't get, I mean, we can't even play for 10 minutes. And, and really the worst part of it is Oklahoma state and Oregon state is a fun matchup. Like that's a fun Oregon state's a fun team. Oklahoma state is a fun team. That should have been a fun game. And it wasn't. It was just a drawn out, just, uh, I mean, it was really kind of a drag for two and a half hours to watch 73 free throws, uh, especially considering I, I just still can't get over the fact that they made 32 or 35. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just. How about the foul that Kuma had where the guy literally just shot it off balance and fell down on his own accord and Kuma was standing oh. next to him and they called a foul yeah, on him? Brutal. <laughs> I mean, there, uh, there were a few. That were, and I'm sure. Look, if I, I, I there's no, re, there's no Oregon State fans listening. But if an Oregon State <laughs> fan on Twitter pointed out some bad call that they got, I'd probably agree with them. I'm sure. Oh, they there did. were there were a few. There was a, one that Roshi got the put back off the free throw that I thought was a little egregious. Yeah, that was terrible. But one one more note. I think this this kind of encapsulates my feeling about college officiating and the block charges. Zach Barnett, who does a good job covering college football, uh, responded to a tweet today. He said. 90% of block charge calls should be no calls or blocks. Stop rewarding flopping as a strategy incentivizes defenders to play or it says stop rewarding flopping as a strategy incentivize defenders to play defense. Yes. They're incentivized now Colby to draw contact and flop because the refs fall for it. It's just, they, they would look really stupid taking a charge and having it be a no call and getting dunked on a lot more than it, than it happened. So I think that's kind of where I stand with the block charge thing. Yeah, and I don't, you know, honestly, it's something that probably won't change. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's not a ton of accountability whenever it comes to officiating. And who knows? Maybe the board of officials wants it called this way. But I cannot imagine that that is the case. I cannot imagine that they want a guy to be posting up. The defender just falls over, and you, you whistle a charge, and you reward the guy for that. T to me, if the on-ball defender falls over, 
uh, whenever a guy's posting up, that's either a block or a no call. And, and you know, what? as far as I'm concerned, if you just fall over, just make it a no call and let your man step over you and dunk. That That's fine with me because, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to get embarrassed like that. So if they would just stop calling that crap, you know, when a guy rotates over from the weak side and he gets there in time, he rotates early and he gets there, I'm all good with a charge call because that's good defense if you can rotate over from the weak side and draw a charge on a guy who's out of control driving into the lane. But if you're just posting up your man and a guy falls over, that is what needs taken out of the game. Uh, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it all over the tournament, Carson. I'm seeing it in other games, too. And I'm like, I, I just don't understand. And I think that's why I enjoyed the Oregon-Iowa game so much earlier, because the Oregon-Iowa game, let me pull up the box score real fast and see. Uh, Oregon shot 11 free throws. Iowa shot 14 free throws. That is a good college basketball game. It had rhythm. It had flow. It was 95 to 80. They were shooting. They were scoring. And they weren't stopping to shoot free throws every 30 seconds. It was so refreshing. It's like I went from watching the game last night with 73 free throws to watching the game today with 25 free throws. And it it almost restored my faith in college basketball that there is at least one officiating crew in the country that will let them play. Yep. I'm with you. I wish I had watched that game because I still have just such a sour taste in my mouth. So I think everyone else has caught on to what we've been talking about for months, Colby. I think you just see people tweeting about the tournament and other games around the country. And it's, it's just, it's an, it's an epidemic. The, the, the officiating is horrific and it's really tough to watch. I, I did want to touch on Cade Cunningham though, Colby. Cade's tournament, he finishes nine of 34 from the field, 26%, six of 19 from three, 31%. 15 of 19 from free throws, scored 39 total points. I think this was about the floor for Cade coming into the tournament, especially playing two double-digit seeds. I thought it was a very disappointing tournament from him. And again, it's not all his fault. The spacing's lacking. They have, he has no shooting around him whatsoever. He's asked to do a lot. I understand all those things. But I do think, and this is, I'm going to be a little critical here. And, and again, he had a great season, thoroughly deserved Big 12 Player of the Year thoroughly deserves to be a Naismith finalist for the award. I don't know if I can sit here and call him the best player in college basketball, Colby, because how many first halves, how many games was he just anonymous for, for a majority of the game? I mean, he's the most anonymous number one overall pick I think I've ever watched in college. And I, I know that sounds harsh. I know it sounds I'm being overly critical. And again, he had a great season. He played awesome throughout most of it. I just feel like if you're going to earn the title best player in the country, you don't let your team get boat raced in the first half. You, you take over and, and put a stop to it. And I think that happened a lot this year, and that probably cost them several other losses this year too. So disappointing tournament from Cade, outstanding season. I want to talk more about the positivity of the way he came to OSU despite the NCAA ban and everything else. Look, I, I don't mean to beat up on the kid, but he, I thought he had a really disappointing tournament. Yeah, I think he did too. And I I think he would tell you that he's probably disappointed with how he played in the tournament. And I don't think it's unfair to say that he might not have been the best player in the country anymore uh, this year. Uh, I mean, the kid from Iowa, Luca Garza, you know, 23 and whatever, however many rebounds uh, he averaged throughout the season. Jalen Suggs out at Gonzaga. Uh, I mean, hell, Acemas, the nation's leading scorer at ORU. I mean, there, there are good, there are great college basketball players. And how many times, Carson, have I said this year, Cade will be a better NBA player than he is a college player because his best skill is passing. And in the NBA, you have spacing and it's a quicker game and, and it just moves a lot faster. And he will thrive in the NBA. If, if somebody's telling you he shouldn't be the number one pick because he had two bad games against Liberty and Oregon State, just kind of slough that off. But as far as college basketball goes, there were times where opposing teams were able to take Cade out of the game plan. And I think that we saw that uh, certainly in the first half against Liberty. I think we saw it at times last night against Oregon State. And it's tough because one of the things that makes Cade so special is he's willing to be selfless and make what is quote unquote the right basketball play, whatever the defense is dictating at that moment. But then there are times where you're the leader and you're the superstar and to hell with what the right basketball play is right now, your guys need you. They need you to, to be a superstar. And I think at times, Cade, in, in the interest of making what he thought was the best basketball play, uh, didn't take over. And I think last night's first half was an example of that. I think last night's first half, I think 
to, to me, it looked like he was trying not to press the panic button and just start shooting every trip. But I think Oklahoma State needed him to do some special things to get them back into that game. And look, I'm by no means saying that, uh, you, you know, a 19-year-old is not allowed to have an off, an off night. Uh, of course he is. But that being said, he had an off night at the wrong time, at the absolute wrong time. And he really started to heat up in that second half, started to make some threes and do some good things. It was kind of too little too late. They dug themselves such a big hole. So, uh, you, you know, and we'll talk about what it meant for Cade to be here this year uh, after we talk about, you, you know, the fact that he wasn't great in the tournament. But uh, he'll be great in the NBA. He just had times where uh, I think he was almost doing too much to let the game come to him, where at times I thought he could have went and got it. So if, if I could have one critique for Cade on this season, there were times where uh, where he just sat back and waited for too long and he needed to be more aggressive. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair. And look, we, we, we talk about OSU basketball on this podcast. We're going to talk about what's going on around us. We're not going to just ignore the fact that Cade didn't have a great tournament. He didn't, and that's that's fair. And I just... Again, I think he deserves to be a Naismith finalist. I do. I just I have a hard time giving the award to somebody that sometimes would just go missing in, in key stretches of games. And just again, I, I think that speaks to exactly what you said about he trusts his teammates. He wants to make the right play. It's more his style of play too. He's he's very much like a like a Sean Livingston or a, a Ben Simmons with a jump shot in that he doesn't just he's not just a volume scorer. I certainly understand those things. I just thought there, there, there are times there in the first half where the game was getting away from him that the best player in the country unquestioned, the number one overall pick in the in the draft, stems the tide a little bit. And that's just that that was a disappointing finish. And again, didn't have a great tournament, but yeah, an outstanding year. And Colby just when the NCAA came out with that tournament ban, I don't think anyone would have blamed Cade Cunningham to say, you know what, I'm going to the G League, I'm gonna go make hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm gonna go to school X and just go play where I know I can play in the tournament, whatever he wanted to do, he could have done. And he stuck, he stuck with Mike Boynton and his brother in Oklahoma state. And he had some great things to say after the game about his connection with Mike Boynton. And, you know, Mike Boynton started recruiting him when he was 14 years old and they, they clearly have a, a bond that is just, it, it's rare to see this type of bond between player and coach. Like they are super, super tight. And, Cade honestly put OSU basketball back on the map. OSU basketball has been, let's let's just face facts, irrelevant since basically since Travis Ford was hired after you know after Sean Sutton was let go. They they very rarely ranked, very very rarely relevant in any sort of capacity, and he put OSU back on the map and to the point where and Cade talked a little bit about this too that he was he was saying how people should watch Mike Boynton on TV and so that's the guy I want to play for. And I think I think a lot of top level recruits probably had to raise their eyebrows and see how much fun Cade had here, how much he loved it at Oklahoma State. And I think he he put OSU basketball back on the map. And I think he certainly is going to really pay dividends for Mike Boynton on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, you know, just this whole team this year, I think has restored the culture of Oklahoma State basketball because for so long, you know, the football program, the rise of the football program has been coincided by the decline of the basketball program. You know, Boone Pickens Stadium uh, at times, you know, when they've had good seasons has been just totally packed going crazy. And then Gallagher Iba, you know, a few weeks later you go in there and it feels like you're in a library and that's not how it was supposed to be football program was supposed to get better basketball program was supposed to continue to ascend and continue to get better uh and and stay at the level that eddie had it at and maybe that was unrealistic for us to expect oklahoma state to stay at the level that it was at under eddie but mike boynton and cade that duo i'm telling you what they accomplished this year it, it's nothing short of remarkable it, it so exceeded my expectations for what I thought that this team was going to be. Mike Boynton has exceeded my expectations for what I thought he would be as a coach. And he has lived up to, if not exceeded my expectations for what I thought he would be as a man. I, I mean, I watched his post-game speech to his team this morning. It's almost three minutes long. I tweeted out. I quoted it with a gif of uh, Michael Scott from the office tearing up and crying because it's just the love that they have for each other and the love now that Oklahoma state fans have for this basketball program. And you know, Cade's gone, but I don't think that what they've built is going with him. 
I, I think that that momentum will carry on through Mike Boynton. Avery Anderson will be back. Donovan Williams, you know, four-star player of the year out of Nebraska has been injured. He'll be on the floor next year. M.A. and Rondell, the Boone twins, Big Burn. I mean, this, this program is in a good place. And I truly thought, Carson, last summer and, and probably even this fall and the early part of the season, I thought to myself, I'm like, this is a one-year window for Oklahoma State to accomplish something on the floor. I didn't think that it was going to be like this major culture shift where we got back to Oklahoma State fans loving basketball and wanting to be in GIA and being emotionally invested in, in everything that's happening with Oklahoma State basketball. I thought it was just going to be a one-off with the best, you know, the number one pick in the draft. Hopefully you can accomplish something, and then you go back to what you were prior to that. And that's not the case at all. I, I really think that they have built something that is sustainable uh, even without Cade, and that is what brought me solace at the end of last night's game, because I really thought when the season was over, I would just be absolutely crushed and, and to a level I was, but also to, to a level I wasn't because I know that there are still good things in store for Oklahoma State basketball and, and Cade coming and turning things around is a huge part of that. Yep. I think Boynton's built a program. I mean, that's something we, we, we were waiting forever for Travis Ford to do to, to, to stack recruiting classes on top of one another to where you have, a sustainable program. And that's what they have now. You mentioned Avery Anderson. Like this team's going to be just fine with Avery next year. Like he, he's a dude. I thought he should have got the ball more late in, in the game against Oregon state. Let Avery cook is my new is I want to print some, let Avery cook t-shirts. Just let him go to work. Cause Oregon state couldn't stay in front of him. And between him, MA Moncrief, you know, the guys you mentioned, the Boone twins, like they're going to be good again next year. And Boynton's only going to keep recruiting big fish like, like Kate Cunningham. So again, did they go as far as they wanted to probably with Cade, especially where the bracket shook out? No. But I said before the tournament started that you're, you measure Oklahoma State this year by getting in the tournament and winning a game. And they did that, finally. It had been since 2009. So to me, this season was a success. Didn't end great. Didn't play well at all in the tournament, really, for the most part. But uh, successful season. And now you got you to gotta pay the man. You got to pay Mike Boyton. He turned down hundred thousand dollars in bonuses. I got to think they'll make that up to him, but that should be first order of business for Chad Weiberg is to lock up Mike Boynton for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think it should be. And I think it will. It's just Mike Boynton is special, man. He's special. We talked about it throughout the year and you, you know, we just keep saying he gets it. Mike Boynton gets it. And, and it's hard to even put into terms. It's just, you know, it, when you see it, you listen to his post-game speeches, you, you see the love that he has for his team. Uh, I mean, he's, he's breaking up. He's having to wipe tears off his face whenever he's talking to him after the game last night, you, you know, and his whole thing, he's like, I'm not even, it's not even the basketball part of it. He's like, I'm just sad that I don't get to coach you guys anymore. This, this same group, I don't get to coach this same group anymore because I think Mike Boynton also, he knows, Mike Boynton knows deep down how special this season was and how important this season was for him as a coach. I mean, look what had happened for him at Oklahoma State prior to this season. It had been mostly, you know, disciplining guys, guys like Maurice Kalou getting kicked off the team. And then you have to have walk-ons and you're not winning games and, and people are starting to get a little restless. And then the NCAA stuff comes in and, and you just... Maurice Kalou. Uh, <laughs> he went full <laughs> Luke Shinsher. Yes. The, uh, the future seemed very uncertain, uh, uncertain at Oklahoma State in the middle of last summer. And now it just... It seems really certain. It seems like Boynton's going to be around for a long time, and it seems like he kind of has this thing figured out, and he's put uh, a plan in place to build a program that Oklahoma State fans can be proud of. And I, I think that that's the most important thing. The basketball program is not something that Oklahoma State fans have been proud of in quite some time, uh, and I think that that shifted this year. So Boynton's the man. He will get paid. Uh, he should get paid. He, he's deserving of every last dollar that's coming his way. He was asked about that. He said, quote, salary talks and all that stuff. We'll have those discussions. Obviously, my focus was trying to get this team a win tonight. As we move forward and get back to Stillwater, I'm sure when the appropriate time is to have discussions about those things, it'll happen. So that's that's uh, next up on the to-do list for Chad Weibergs. Lock that man up. Don't let him go to South Carolina or Syracuse, wherever else that he might go. Indiana, Indiana. those jokers keep thinking that they can just get any coach in the country they want to. Indiana is to basketball what Nebraska is to football. Get out of here like you can just cherry pick whichever coach you want from across the country. 
they are very much like Nebraska in that they still think they're a traditional power, but they're really not. Like the yep. time has kind of passed them by. I mean, Indiana's hired good coaches. I mean, Archie Miller was one of the hottest names in the country. Hasn't done anything. Tom Crean didn't do anything there and got canned. So I think Indiana's kind of come and gone. Same thing with Scott Frost in Nebraska. They, I mean, they thought he was going to yep. be the guy to come in and turn it around. Indiana and Nebraska, basketball and football are perfect parallels. I just – I don't know why that just sparked a chord with me. I was reading something on Twitter earlier, Indiana fans going back and forth about who they want to be their coach, and they're throwing out, like, Scott Drew and Mark Few and Dana Altman and all these names. And I'm like, do you think you just get to pick as if these guys would leave the jobs <laughs> they're at now with these programs they built to come to Indiana? to just be the next guy to lose and get fired at Indiana. Anyway, I'll quit ranting about Indiana. Cade uh, Cunningham asked, is this his last game as a Cowboy? He said, I don't know, which, you know, I'm sure some people like raise their eyebrows like, oh, he, maybe, he's, maybe he's thinking about – no, he just – he doesn't want some piddly Zoom press conference to be his announcement that he's turning pro. He wants to – you know, nowadays it's a more of a production. Maybe OSU would have something to do with it too. But like the idea that he's gonna just announce on a Zoom, I'm I'm taking my talents to the NBA. Just for anyone that reads too much into that, I would just say he he's going to the NBA. He's likely going to be the number one overall pick, and uh, it's gonna be fun to watch him, man. I, I can't wait to see where he goes. I hope he doesn't end up in Houston, which would really th throw a wrench into Thunder's plans. But he's gonna go to a bad team. We know that, Colby. But I, I can't wait to to watch him and be a fan of him wherever he does go. If he goes to Houston, I will hate everything and everyone. I just there, – <laughs> there Carson, there's nothing that could be more miserable than him going to Houston, not only because that would impact what happens with the Thunder and all their picks and everything, but because Houston's just a miserable freaking organization. I just – I hate Houston. I hate the Rockets. If he becomes a Rocket, I will be so, so, so upset. Uh, you know, the dream was Cade to OKC, and the ping pong balls could still make it happen, but the Thunder are not nearly good enough at losing games to give themselves a very good chance for it to happen. So it's uh, who knows where he'll wind up, but I will be watching Cade Cunningham and the NBA. <laughs> and like I said, I think he'll be a better NBA player uh, than he was a college player. He, he's the type of guy who strikes me as, uh, you know, he could be – multiple times leading the league in assists. I think he's that good of a passer. He really is. And he's such a good shooter too. Like, I mean, oh, he better than we he, thought he led the big 12 in scoring and he's not a, he's not a volume scorer. That's not like his strong suit. Like that's how good he was at scoring. And he's again, he's, he's Ben Simmons with it, with a great jump shot. That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough formidable uh, combination there being six foot eight, but uh, you know, James Harden screwed over Sam Presti twice with the, the initial Harden trade. Then he pulls off this heist of their draft picks and Harden bounces Houston and they turn into the worst team in the NBA. It's like Harden just haunts Sam Presti no matter what happens. It's unbelievable. It's infuriating, but uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather Cade go to Cleveland, Minnesota. Like these aren't places I want him to go. I don't want him to go to Cleveland or Minnesota, but I'd rather him go to Cleveland or Minnesota than Houston. Cause I Detroit. Just, oh, man. oh God. It's Some just bad teams up there this year. I mean, it's always bad teams up there, but the organizations, that's what I look at, like just completely inept, fundamentally inept organizations that Cade could wind up yeah, with. Yeah, ho hopefully a, a team like, you know, the Pelicans snuck out of nowhere to get the number one pick for Zion. Maybe maybe the Thunder or someone else could sneak up there number one and yeah, offer beat the up. odds. Yeah, or either that or if the Thunder get like the fifth or sixth pick, trade that pick and like – three more firsts and five more seconds to get up to number one and get Cade. I don't <laughs> know what the package would be. Creating the entire future for Cade, yeah. It'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, Colby, buckets and bricks, what do you got? Buckets and bricks, man. The bucket goes to the entire season. It goes to the entire season. It was, it was so much fun, and it, it's one of those things. I feel like I'm being cliche today, but, I mean, we're talking about the, the conclusion of what was a special season. It's – you know, sad because it's over, happy because it happened. It, it just – I am so just in love with what Mike Boynton has built up there. He's a special coach. He's a special guy. Um, you know, Cade was awesome. Getting Cade for a year, 
I, I didn't think it was going to happen initially. He commits. And then when the NCAA stuff came out, I didn't think he was going to stay. I certainly wouldn't have blamed him if he didn't. So it's just a huge bucket to those two. And not only the, to those two, but to everybody else who was a part of Oklahoma State basketball this year that made it special because it really was special. It, it far exceeded my expectations. I got much more invested in it than I thought I would. Uh, and it was an absolute blast. So huge, huge bucket to Oklahoma State basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go with Cade because, again, I was a little hard on him earlier just for the way the season played out and thought he was a little anonymous at times. But, again, just when the NCAA made their announcement, it just felt like the most OSU thing ever. It's like they had the number one recruit in the country, the number one pick in the draft coming to town, and now they don't get to play for anything. They don't get to play in the Big 12 tournament. They don't get to play in the NCAA tournament. And Cade said, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to Stillwater anyway, and we're going we're gonna to play in the tournaments. To hell with the NCAA. And I thought he just showed a lot of fortitude there. A lot, I think a lot lesser people with a lot lesser values would have just at that point just said, you know what, that looks like it's going to be tough. I'm going to go do something else. The fact he stuck that out to me shows an incredible amount of loyalty, which to me shows an incredible amount of, you know, Cade thinks or Cade believes that his word is, is who he is. And he, he stuck with his word and he put together an unbelievable season. I mean, again, just all the accolades were well-deserved. He was unbelievable. The, the 40 burger he had against Oklahoma is something we're going to be talking about for, for many years to come. And uh, he, he, again, he, he put OSU basketball back on the map. He made OSU basketball cool again. And I think that's going to pay dividends for, for a long time for, for Mike Boynton and company. And, it, and to that point, you said the season is your bucket. I forgot what it was like to be so mad at an official. I literally, OSU basketball hasn't made me feel anything for virtually 10 years now. I, just, I feel nothing. Like losses don't really affect me. Wins don't. That all changed this year because they had a team worth cheering for, one. And two, they were, they were good again. I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed a college basketball team making a run come Big 12 tournament in March Madness time. And so thank you to Kate Cunningham for that. You get a bucket for that, and I can't wait to watch you in the pros. Yeah, it's a great point. It only hurts if it matters. It only hurts if it matters. And, and Oklahoma State basketball, you know, the season coming to an end, it hadn't hurt for a while because it hadn't mattered for a while because they haven't been competitive. So yeah, you, you're nothing. right. Felt zero. Yeah, it hurt. Yeah, it hurts this year because it mattered to us. Uh, my brick, Carson, this could go any number <laughs> of directions. Uh, I, are you, are you going to take the officials? Because I'll leave that for you. No, you, you take it. Okay, I'll take the officials all season long, all year. All year, Carson, <laughs> it was brutal. And I thought to myself, I was like, oh, my gosh, watching these refs that we keep getting over and over in the Big 12, it's just excruciating. And then we get to the tournament, and the universe has played a cruel, cruel trick on us, and we want Higgins back on the floor. It's just <laughs> – I can't get over it. I don't know. There needs to be a meeting. I don't know who needs to be at the meeting. Maybe somebody needs to write a memo, a letter to the editor. I don't know. I don't know who to contact. I don't know who to reach out to. I don't know who to complain to. But college basketball would be so much more fun if the officiating would allow it to be. And, you know, that Oregon-Iowa game earlier, that's what college basketball should be. It, they, they were up and down the court. There was slight contact, but they weren't calling little hand checks. You, you know, guys weren't flopping all over the place just trying to get charge calls. That's what basketball should be. And that, to, to me, is what could make the product of college basketball so, so much better. So I hope it's addressed. You know, I hope now that social media is as big of a platform as it is. And so many, so many people have complained about just the officiating ruining, ruining basketball games, not costing a team the game. Because, again, you know, officials don't always determine the outcomes of games. Sometimes they play a small role. But just ruining the actual game itself, uh, it's been brutal. So big, big brick for everything that I saw from officiating this year. I saw someone suggest, Colby, they go to quarters due to all the, you know, the, bo the bonuses are out of control now. It's just, yeah. you know, Oregon, Oregon State was in the bonus with 11 minutes to go. So that really turns it into a free throw contest. I think that's something they could, can, could do to combat the officials absolutely ruining games. Is maybe go to quarters, which I hate. I, I love the two halves. A lot better but if it saves me from watching a free throw contest so be it yeah if we could watch you know even on a bad officiating night if we could see 40 free throws instead of 73 in <laughs> count me in 
Yeah. Okay. So I can go multiple directions here. I wanted to go Big Ten because, again, they they continue to just fall flat on their face. But now people are coming at me about the Big Twelve, which again, I don't want to hear it. Texas embarrassed the the Big Twelve. We all know that. West Virginia, they embarrassed the Big Twelve by losing to double digit seed. But again, Syracuse has been in the Sweet Sixteen three different times as a double digit seed. Like. Jim Beheim's just a sandbagger. That's not West Virginia's fault. And West Virginia shouldn't have been a three seed in the first place. That's NCAA's fault. They weren't a three seed. They were seven I and six thought, I against quad Texas, one teams. I thought Texas was the only team that really embarrassed the conference. I mean, everybody yeah. else won their first round game. Texas Tech literally could have gone either way with two minutes left. They're uh, a six seed. Like, they're not supposed to be the three. Yeah, West Virginia could have gone either way with five minutes left. Oklahoma State even could have gone either way with five minutes left. I think Texas was the only real embarrassment, whereas the Big Ten has gotten completely run off the floor uh, basically in the first round, Iowa beating a 15 seed. With obviously. higher seeds, with yeah. way higher seeds. Ones and twos are losing in the Big Ten. Don't even compare that. The deck was stacked for the Big Ten, and they've still embarrassed. They them. still folded. Oh, it's unbelievable. That's not where I want to go. I want to go to the NCAA. Yes. We all saw the NCAA, the the quote unquote accommodations they made for the for the women's tournament versus the men. That speaks for itself. That was an abomination. Only did social media kind of get them to come to their senses and and do do right by the women. But NCAA, show me on the doll where OSU basketball hurts you. The OSU women were tied for second in the league in the Big Twelve. And they get an eight seat. It's a joke. In what sense? In what world are we living in? NCAA? They're just—they're not even trying to hide it anymore. Colby, again, Jim Littell, Big Twelve Coach of the Year, tied for second in the league conference-wise. I think they lost the head-to-head to finish third. And they're an eight seed. They got to play number one seed Stanford tomorrow. NCAA, show me on the doll where Oklahoma State hurt you. What is your problem? You are doing wrong by these student athletes who did nothing but perform and finish third in the Big 12. What the hell is the matter with you, NCAA? I don't know who hurt you from OSU and why you hold such a grudge, but this is even more egregious than the men's seed, man. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a disaster what's happened to the Oklahoma State women's basketball program. How often do you see an 8-9 game that's not competitive from the jump and one team wins by 20-plus? Oklahoma State won by 23. <laughs> it was not a competitive game. Unbelievable. They were so – I mean, it was a, a disastrous mismatch in an 8-9. And now, like you said, they're matched up against Stanford tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Stanford's 26-2. and two, And, I mean, look, we, we've seen it time and time again. Uh, Oklahoma State has a very low chance to win that game. I'm not saying Natasha Mack and those girls can't do it, but Oklahoma State, the women got totally, uh, totally screwed over by the seeding. So you're right, NCAA. And it's funny because I even thought about giving my brick to the NCAA for that reason, for the Oklahoma State seeding, for the sanctions that still the appeal hasn't been heard, uh, you know, nine months later. And, you know, we're at a point still to where what if the NCAA does hold up? the sanctions against the men's basketball program that could, I'm not saying it would, but it could certainly slow down some of the momentum that Oklahoma state's built. And that's still just hanging over the program. So the NCAA and whatever, uh, I mean, this stupid vendetta that they have against Oklahoma state, it's just like you said, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. It is so blatant. Um, and it's, it's really a shame because this women's basketball team at Oklahoma state, this team could have made sweet 16 elite eight type run, uh, but they get matched up against a one seed and it's just, it's going to be tough. So you're right. That's, that's a joke and a disaster. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that, that it doesn't make sense on paper, let alone in practicality. Like I just feel bad for the women again, they, they've had a great season. They have to go play Stanford again, no fault of their own. I don't know what happened between the NCAA or why they decided to just start hosing OSU uh, men's sports and women's now it's, it's unbelievable. So again, that that's my brick. Yep. That's a good one. It's uh, yeah, it's tough. Uh, I, and you know, Oklahoma state basketball has had a great year. Coach Patel has been awesome. Natasha Mack is awesome. She is uh, a, she is a force of they, nature. I mean, no, they can't guard her. Can't guard her. So I mean, leads I'm the country in blocks. I mean, yeah. she's just a freak of nature. Yeah, the game against, tomorrow against Stanford, I'll watch that game. It's on ESPN2 at 8 o'clock if anybody they, wants to watch they it. They need Natasha Mack to go full like Brittany Griner and just dominate, which I'm oh, here for. 
and then she needs to she needs to lift up the jersey and show the anti NCAA T-shirt that Brian Bosworth was wearing. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. And if OSU beats Stanford, oh man, that would be a huge monumental upset in women's basketball. If they were to beat Stanford, oh, that would be so sweet. Just to stick it to the NCAA, uh, it'd be great. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Colby, I could go another hour on offici- college officiating. I just watch. I'm we're watching uh, the OU Gonzaga games on right now. Austin Reeves about got tossed because they called him for a block, and it was the one time it was actually a charge. They called a block. Oh, yeah. it's just. Uh, I, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with officiating for today, though. So, you, yeah. do you have one interesting thing before we get out of here? Reeves freaked out, but rightfully so, because he got just steamrolled. And they're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> so, who knows? They're just guessing. They, that's what we determined. They're really just yep, guessing. They really uh, are. I want interesting thing. Uh, are you going Ferrari here? We can both go Ferrari. Yeah, I want to drive the Ferrari. Let's, let's, let's go just Ferrari. Let's go Ferrari because AJ Ferrari is freaking awesome. True freshman, national champ. And his interviews are instant classics, absolute gold. So, I mean, how is the one interesting thing not AJ Ferrari? I want a Netflix series documenting his dad, Albert, and all the siblings and AJ. Just follow them around for like six months and film a show. That would be like the number one show in the country. They're just true characters. And this guy, AJ Ferrari, he he already has like, a gimmick like he could he could already be like in the wwe like tomorrow his name is aj ferrari for for instance for one he already has like the greatest you know pro wrestling name ever and he has like kind of the italian machismo gimmick in terms of like i'm the best i deadlift 700 pounds i'm the man i do my he does his he does his interviews without a shirt on and he and i thought john smith had some unbelievable things to say afterwards he was asked about all of his antics and stuff like that and John was basically like, look, he does it in a playful way. Like he doesn't show up his opponent and look, he likes to talk, but he, he, he talks the talk and he, he walks the walk because he's the third OSU freshman in history to be an individual national champion as a true freshman. I mean, he'll have the opportunity to be a five-time national champ, which has never been done. So he, he's a character. He's like, he's like if Johnny Hendricks and, and Ronnie from the Jersey shore had a, had a baby, he's like got all the flair, the wrestling ability, and then just the pure Italian machismo. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable to watch. He is an absolute superstar in the making. I just, I love, you know, the guy's talking to him and he's talking about yoga. And he's like, yeah, my dad, he made me do yoga one hour a week, an hour every week. I had to do yoga. And <laughs> it's, just, it's so awesome. And like you said, true freshman, so young. And I, I tweeted out the, the video of him after the, the, after he won his national championship. And I'm like, this is what people mean when they say they want an athlete to be authentic in their in their interviews. This is what they mean. This is authentic AJ Ferrari. He is just unapologetically himself. And that is so admirable. And uh, it's just, it's awesome. He's been fun to watch. He will continue to be fun to watch. And uh, yeah, he's just been absolutely awesome. So yeah. way, OU, uh, OU Harkless just a little bit of a dirty play at the end of the game. They're getting a little bit, a little bit of a dust up with like 55 seconds left. So another Big 12 school bites the dust, Carson. Oh yeah, they're about to, yeah, about to throw down there for a second. I didn't want to distract from Ferrari, but it just got a real, real choppy in the end. Yeah, I mean Gonzaga wanted to wanted to throw some hands. Uh, so yeah, and before we go to Dayton Fix loses in the finals in overtime for the second straight year, just. Oh, it, it's so hard to watch. I mean, it's the second straight year that's happened. He was undefeated coming into this year and just, he can't seem to let it go. He couldn't, he never got his offense going. I thought the Penn State guy had a great strategy that he never shot. He just countered and waited for Dayton to make a mistake. And he did in overtime and that cost him another national title. Again, John Smith said he was rusty because he, he obviously took the, the Olympic red shirt and didn't get to wrestle as much this year with everything. So disappointing for fix, but Ferrari, stars born. Can't wait to watch this guy progress as, in his career. So we had March Madness. We had March Madness with the wrestling. And uh, it was a great basketball season, Colby. Wrestling season is has uh, come to an end as well. So we appreciate you joining us. And uh, we'll get back with you next week or later this week. Absolutely. All right. It was a good season. It was a lot of fun. Go Pokes. You want to talk 30 more minutes about college officiating or no? Oh, I, I don't think I, I don't think I can take it. Yeah, let's let's we'll have to we'll have to table that for at least till next week. Yep, no doubt. Good stuff, Carson. All right, see ya. Yep, later.